Hello and a very warm welcome to you to today's edition of New Life. Coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi, this is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. We have a great show lined up for you. I am your host, Monica Kamukwa. It's a joy to have you tuned in. Starting off the show for us today is Emmanuel Sunday, who will be telling us more about disciplining children in the health segment. Then later on, Ian Muse will be joining us in the Bible segment to tell us more on obtaining forgiveness. But that is after we get the song to Nawasalimu by Kibera Youth Choir. Stay tuned. Oh, 
You're listening to the new live program coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Emmanuel Sunday now joins us with more on disciplining children in the health segment. Stay tuned and be on the new. Dear listeners, welcome to today's Family Life program. I'm your presenter, Lydia Aching. Today's topic is making marriage like work. I remember hearing a speaker a number of years ago challenge us with, if you worked at your job the same way you work at your marriage, how long do you think you'd stay employed? Granted, men are probably more likely to compartmentalize their jobs and marriage by putting them in different categories in terms of importance. But Cindy and I believe both men and women can be guilty of putting their jobs or anything else ahead of putting the work in that is necessary to make their marriages great. How do we know this to be true? By reading the emails and comments posted on our website every week from people all over the world who are having marital meltdowns. It amazes us that so many people get married thinking that great marriages just happen all on their own. And when problems arise, it takes them by surprise. To us, that makes about the same sense as putting all the parts needed to build a car into a garage and expecting it to assemble itself into an automobile all on its own. Just like it takes education, skill, work and patience to build an automobile, it takes the same components to build a successful marriage. Marriage Missions exists to help educate you so you can develop the skills required to have a marriage that honors God. And this week we're gleaning from some thought-provoking points written by Craig Slots, which were featured in the Washington Post a while back. In this article, he discussed Dr. Scott Haltzman's secular book for men titled The Secrets of Happily Married Men. And even though the article had more to it than what we feature, we feel you could benefit from reading that which is in this message. Note, we adapted and made some minor modifications to Craig Slot's points to apply to both husbands and wives. Make marriage your job. We all have skills and habits developed at work that can be successfully applied to marriage. If men and women are to accept marriages as a job, they need a job description. 
his holtzman's love honor and respect him or her be sexually and emotionally faithful listen without being judgmental support his or her ambitions try to understand how he or she is different emotionally be honest at all times and keep promises share in child care and domestic work be as attentive fun loving and adoring as you can as you were during courtship and be affectionate this is no part-time job one of the best portions of scripture that talks about how we should work at our jobs also has a powerful application to how we need to work at our marriages whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for men it is the lord christ you are serving know your wife or husband you think you know your wife or husband but you haven't really been paying attention do you research citing the old therapist joke there are two times you don't really understand each other one before marriage and two after marriage holtzman urges guys to do what guys do collect data observe her in mundane situations where she reveals herself at the sidelines at a kids game when she's with her best friend at a restaurant or coffee shop and before during and after sex here is where you will discover who she really is not who she says she is while holtzman makes the assumption that men need to apply this principle the most Cindy and I know that women can be just as guilty of not really knowing the needs of her husband. Therefore, it takes an equal commitment for both the husband and wife to become educated about each other. Men and women approach situations differently. And different isn't usually wrong. It's just different. It's important to first know and then work with these differences. A great application to this in the Bible is in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. live in harmony with one another be sympathetic be compassionate and humble expect conflict deal with it fights are inevitable but you can control them you can stop the mounting tension in their tracks holtzman says what not by doing what comes naturally to most of us dig in and fight to the death but by using various higher cere- cerebral strategies but by using various higher cerebral strategies for instance husbands should take advantage of a woman's natural inclination to nurture by softening your tone and a woman can often find a man more receptive to what she has to say if she softens her approach and for both don't allow your conflicts with each other to escalate don't let your emotionality to the situation drive what you say and do take note of this Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. James chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. Learn to listen. Listening does not come naturally to male humans who are more inclined to act, but it can be learned to great benefit. Stand still while she talks. Turn off the TV. Look directly at her. Use verbal nods to show that you're listening. Seek clarification when it's needed. If not, just let her talk. For both husbands and wives, we have a lot of information on developing and improving communication skills on our website. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 5 says, "Let the wise listen and add to their learning, 
and let the discerning get guidance. Aim to please. Holtzman says, in the workplace, men are masters of relationship building, and so are women. So, bring this skill home and apply it. Treat your wife or husband at least as well as you would a valuable client, co-worker, or employee. Greet him or her warmly, ask how she or he is, and see what he or she needs and how you can help. Do thoughtful favors, anticipate desires, and entertain and offer gifts as appropriate. First John chapter 3 verse 18 says, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Granted, these principles aren't the end all of building a great marriage, but for many people who are struggling to know how to begin, these principles are good points to use to jump start your marriage relationship. As Dr. Holtzman says, view marriage as your most important task. Pursue success as you would anything else that matters. The assumption is it's a lot more pleasant and the payoffs far greater to live with a husband or wife who is satisfied, secure, and feeling loved compared to one who is none of the above. Make this your job. And to paraphrase the Apostle Paul's admonition to us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, Don't do anything in your marriage out of selfish ambition, thinking only of yourself, but in humility consider your husband or wife better than yourself. Each of you should not look out for your own interests, but also the interests of your husband or wife, by in fact working to put their interest first. This material is provided courtesy of Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. Are you just joining us? This is the new live program with me, Monica Kamokwa. Coming to you live from Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. You haven't missed a lot as you still have more coming up. And your feedback is always welcome and you can drop your comments, suggestions or questions through the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 001009, Nairobi, Kenya. Or email us at awrnairobi@akudadventist.org. Now listening to the new live program coming to you live from the heart of Nairobi. This is Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Don't change the channel. Ayo yo te yo fanika, 
My dear listener, thanks for choosing our station. We are because you are. Right about now, Ian Muse joins us for the Bible segment with more on obtaining forgiveness. Be blessed. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is a journey to heaven. I am your presenter, Ian Musa. In the book of Revelation, John declared that nothing which defileth will go through the gates into that dwelling place of God. The only thing that defiles in God's sight is sin. Isaiah wrote, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 In order to live again in the presence of God, each individual must be free from the condemnation brought on by sin. The Apostle John confirmed this fact by his description of that great multitude that he saw in vision standing before the throne of God. They had palms in their hands and were dressed in white robes, representing freedom from sin. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 as the first giant step on the way from earth to heaven, we must have our sins forgiven. This is probably the best known fact about the entire salvation process. Yet the most perplexing questions are raised about the way to take this step. The truth is that millions have only the vaguest idea about how to obtain relief from the guilt of their wrongdoing. How can a person obtain pardon and be restored to a saving union with God? It is my belief that countless numbers of people really want to be Christians, but no one has made it clear enough or appealing enough to win their decision. In the next few pages, you will read the most simple, bottom-line explanation of the plan of salvation. Even the children should be able to understand what it means to be saved. I don't believe that it is enough to just tell people they are lost and need to be found. We must show them step by step how to pass from death to life. The doctor doesn't tell his patients that they are sick and need to be well without giving a prescription for their healing. In the same way, we must be prepared to offer a specific cure for those who have been diagnosed with a disease of sin. How does one obtain the requisite pardon for those sins that have become such a common lot for every human being? We need to understand from very beginning that there are three conditions to having our sins forgiven. Repentance, confession, and restitution. Please do not let those long theological terms confuse you. We shall break them into such simple language that all will know what they mean and how to fulfill their requirements. What is repentance? And what are we to repent of? The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The meaning of these inspired words is very clear. Regardless of our wealth, sex, 
or station in life, we have all made personal choices to break God's law. The Bible calls it sin. No resolute human effort has been sufficient to overcome the inherited tendencies to have our own way. The results of that original sin by Adam and Eve have been passed along to every succeeding generation, ours included. The inability to meet God's standard is a part of the carnal nature that has marked every member of the human family since the fall of our first parents. We can better understand how all have sinned when we look at the beautiful, innocent little baby throwing a tantrum when its will is crossed. There is no age when the fallen nature has power of itself to control the life and modify the behavior. The Bible declares, The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can we. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 Jeremiah made the interesting observation. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good, that are accustomed to do evil. Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 23 In other words, not one of us has the ability to change this lot and dying condition into which we have been thrust. We cannot lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. Not even education, culture, or any of the other amenities of society are able to reverse the consequences of our sinful heritage. After recognizing the fact that our yielding to the propensities of our genetic natures has condemned us all, we are next confronted with the result of our transgressions. Paul describes it very succinctly in these words. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 with this shocking line, the full horror of our situation appears before us. Not only are we all guilty, but we also have been sentenced to die for our sins. Every member of the human family is consigned to a death row status as a consequence of our willful disobedience. Is it not more than alarming to be confronted with our own death sentence, realizing that there is not a court or judge in the universe that will declare us not guilty? The fact is, of course, that we are just as guilty as sin. Furthermore, the penalty is absolutely irreversible, and God himself could not cancel it without contradicting his own character and law. Is there a solution to our dilemma? Someone may suggest that our only recourse is to go ahead and pay the penalty for what we have done wrong. By dying for our sins, we can uphold the justice of God and satisfy the demands of our broken law at the same time. We could do that all right, but where would it leave us? Since we have no power to raise ourselves from the dead, we will be eternally cut off from life, with no hope of a resurrection. Certainly that cause does not seem to be a very satisfactory answer to our problem. Finally, we have to face the truly disturbing fact that we owe something we cannot pay. We owe our very lives for our sin debt and have no way to pay without forfeiting all future existence. We also owe something we can't pay our very lives. But a friend in the person of Jesus says, I will assume your debt, suffer death in your place, and put it all to the credit of your personal account. That offer stands behind all three of the steps we are considering in the salvation experience. It constitutes the basis of our receiving forgiveness for our sins. How is the guilt, condemnation, and death sentence transferred from you and me and placed upon Jesus, our divine substitute?
Dear listener, it is indeed a misery how a sinless Savior could die for our sins. Let us therefore accept this great salvation as it is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time, dear listener. I was your presenter, Ian Musi. Thank you for staying tuned throughout the show. It is always a pleasure to have you. Remember to send us your views, comments, or questions about the show through the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276, code 00100, And that brings us to the end of the show today. Until next time, when we meet again, right here, I have been your host, Monica Kamokwa. God bless you. Abadanti. Oh,